War and Peace, Book Eight, Chapter Ten, read for LibriVox.org, by Foreign Girl. During the entr'acte, a whiff of cold air came into Helen's box. The door opened, and Anatole entered, stooping and trying not to brush against anyone. "Let me introduce my brother to you," said Helen, her eyes shifting uneasily from Natasha to Anatole. Natasha turned her pretty little head toward the elegant young officer and smiled at him over her bare shoulder. Anatole, who was as handsome at close quarters as at a distance, sat down beside her and told her he had long wished to have this happiness, ever since the Narishkin's ball, in fact, at which he had had the well-remembered pleasure of seeing her. Kuragin was much more sensible and simple with women than among men. He talked boldly and naturally, and Natasha was strangely and agreeably struck by the fact that there was nothing formidable in this man about whom there was so much talk, but that, on the contrary, his smile was most naive, cheerful, and good-natured. Kuragin asked her opinion of the performance, and told her how at a previous performance Simonova had fallen down on the stage. "'And do you know, Countess,' he said, suddenly addressing her as an old familiar acquaintance, we are getting up a costume tournament. You ought to take part in it. It will be great fun. We shall all meet at the Karagins. Please come. No? Really? Huh? said he. While saying this, he never removed his smiling eyes from her face, her neck, and her bare arms. Natasha knew for certain that he was enraptured by her. This pleased her, yet his presence made her feel constrained and oppressed. When she was not looking at him, she felt that he was looking at her shoulders, and she involuntarily caught his eye, so that he should not look into hers rather than this. But looking into his eyes, she was frightened, realizing that there was not that barrier of modesty she had always felt before, between herself and other men. She did not know how it was that within five minutes she had come to feel herself terribly near to this man. When she turned away, she feared he might seize her from behind by her bare arm and kiss her on the neck. They spoke of most ordinary things, yet she felt that they were closer to one another than she had ever been to any man. Natasha kept turning to Helen and to her father, as if asking what it all meant, but Helen was engaged in conversation with the general and did not answer her look, and her father's eyes said nothing but what they always said, having a good time, well, I'm glad of it. During one of these moments of awkward silence, when Anatoly's prominent eyes were gazing calmly and fixedly at her, Natasha, to break the silence, asked him how he liked Moscow. She asked the question and blushed. She felt all the time that by talking to him she was doing something improper. Anatoly smiled as though to encourage her. At first I didn't like it much, because what makes a town pleasant, ce sont les jolies femmes, are the pretty women, isn't that so? But now I like it very much indeed, he said, looking at her significantly. You'll come to the costume tournament, Countess. Do come, and putting out his hand to her bouquet and dropping his voice, he added, You will be the prettiest there. Do come, dear Countess, and give me this flower as a pledge. Natasha did not understand what he was saying any more than he did himself, but she felt that his incomprehensible words had an improper intention. She did not know what to say, and turned away as if she had not heard his remark. But as soon as she had turned away, she felt that he was there, behind, so close behind her. How is he now? Confused? Angry? Ought I to put it right? She asked herself, and she could not refrain from turning around. She looked straight into his eyes, and his nearness, self-assurance, and the good-natured tenderness of his smile vanquished her. 
She smiled just as he was doing, gazing straight into his eyes, and again she felt with horror that no barrier lay between him and her. The curtain rose again. Anatoly left the box serene and gay. Natasha went back to her father in the other box, now quite submissive to the world she found herself in. All that was going on before her now seemed quite natural, but on the other hand all her previous thoughts of her betrothed, of Princess Mary, or of life in the country did not once recur to her mind, and were as if belonging to a remote past. In the fourth act there was some sort of a devil who sang waving his arm about, till the boards were withdrawn from under him and he disappeared down below. That was the only part of the fourth act that Natasha saw. She felt agitated and tormented, and the cause of this was Kuragin, whom she could not help watching. As they were leaving the theatre, Anatol came up to them, called their carriage, and helped them in. As he was putting Natasha in, he pressed her arm above the elbow. Agitated and flushed, she turned round. He was looking at her with glittering eyes, smiling tenderly. Only after she had reached home was Natasha able clearly to think over what had happened to her, and suddenly remembering Prince Andrew, she was horrified, and at tea to which all had sat down after the opera, she gave a loud exclamation, flushed, and ran out of the room. "'Oh, God, I'm lost!' she said to herself. "'How could I let him?' She sat for a long time hiding her flushed face in her hands, trying to realize what had happened to her, but was unable either to understand what had happened or what she felt. Everything seemed dark, obscure, and terrible. There, in that enormous, illuminated theatre, where the bare-legged Duport, in a tinsel-decorated jacket, jumped about to the music on wet boards, and young girls and old men, and the nearly naked Helen, with her proud, calm smile, rapturously cried, Bravo! There, in the presence of that Helen, it had all seemed clear and simple, but now, alone by herself, it was incomprehensible. What is it? What was that terror I felt of him? What is this gnawing of conscience I am feeling now, she thought. Only to the old countess at night in bed could Natasha have told all she was feeling. She knew that Sonia, with her severe and simple views, would either not understand it at all, or would be horrified at such a confession. So Natasha tried to solve what was torturing her by herself. Am I spoiled for Andrew's love or not? she asked herself, and with soothing irony replied. What a fool I am to ask that! What did happen to me? Nothing. I've done nothing. I didn't lead him on at all. Nobody will know, and I shall never see him again, she told herself. So it is plain that nothing has happened, and there is nothing to repent of, and Andrew can love me still. But why still? Oh, God, why isn't he here? Natasha quieted herself for a moment, but again some instinct told her that though all this was true, and though nothing had happened, yet the former purity of her love for Prince Andrew had perished. And again in imagination she went over her whole conversation with Kuragin, and again saw the face, gestures, and tender smile of that bold, handsome man when he pressed her arm. End of chapter 10 Racketing by Foreign Girl West Country, United Kingdom